We're going to come to God's word uh, now. We've been in this series called Good News in the Old Testament, and we're studying the, um, the scriptures in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm, we're going to do a little Bible study, so I'm going to have you grab a Bible and put it, uh, and, and if you're in the front row, maybe they can get you one from the back row if you need one, or if you've got an um, electronic version. Um, we are going to be uh, in Exodus, and so go ahead and grab it and turn to like Exodus 14 or 15 or something like that to start with right now. So I'll get you there in just a quick sec. Um, by the way, at this, we're going we're gonna to read through it. And so uh, I hope you have your Bible with you because I'm not going to have the verses on the screen. Here, here's why I'm going to this place. Because you guys, I have a love-hate relationship with a new phrase. It's my new favorite worst, worst liked phrase in my life. And here's what it is. This is the phrase. It's like, oh, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> Do you say that? Do you feel that in your soul sometimes? Oh, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Like, that's a thing that I feel all the time. Like, that might be the tattoo on the soul of my worst version of me, which is, oh, yeah, that's not going to work for me. I was thinking about that today, just hearing that. So Pastor Ben was, um, he went to Michael's ordination service in Kansas City, which happened last night. Michael got ordained, got the stole, got the robe, got the whole deal. Yeah, I know. We're super stoked about that. And so Pastor Michael. uh, and, um, And Ben flew out there, flew a red eye, after the Vacation Bible School closing program. Oh, that's not going to work for me. I'm telling you right now. And then he did, and then on the, at the ordination service on Saturday night, he, uh, he went to the service and then he took Michael and Andrea out on our behalf to celebrate with them and stayed up late. And I don't know what time he got back to his hotel. This is central time. So it's, you know, two hours off this morning, the car picked him up to go to the airport at 2.45. That's 12.45 for you and me. Well, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> and then he got to the airport and found out what? His flight's canceled. Yeah. Now say it with me. Oh, that's not going to work for me. (laughs) Like that version of life, you know, and now he's like running behind Mrs. Connecting Flight, right? That version of life is so what we carry in every day of our world. Every day that thing, that stuff comes our way and we go, oh yeah, see now that's not going to work for me. And this is what the Old Testament is teaching us when these stories of this people of God who travel through the wilderness in Israel and learn to try to hear God and walk with God and stuff keeps coming their way and they go, oh yes, you know, that's not going to work for me. God's like, well, I'm going to teach you to walk with me in it and that I will be everything you need. I will generously give you everything you need. And that's the title of my sermon this morning and our title of our Bible study this morning is that God will generously give you what you really need. No matter what it is that we face, no matter what flight is canceled, no matter what euphemistic flight is canceled in your world, God will generously give you what you really need. That's where our hope is found. And so my subtitle is, so we can stop grumbling. Does that not sound like an Old Testament word? Because the grumbling was, oh, that's not going to work for me. And God's like, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. And no matter what you face, Ashton, stay in your seat until the break, okay? So no matter what you face, I will generously give you what you really need. And so we can stop grumbling. We become a people who praise God and put our trust in him. All right, let's read together a bunch of scriptures. I'm going to spend a bunch of time with you down here, and I'm going to read three vignettes from Exodus. And, um, oh, and so... 
uh, it's so good. We're just going to get a ton of scripture in us this morning. What's that? Oh, Exodus 14. End of Exodus 14 is the first verse. Here's the first verse on the screen. It's the only one I have. It's the very first, the beginning of it. Uh, because this is at the very end of the, um, of the Exodus story where the Israelites have escaped from slavery and bondage in Egypt and they are now Cross, and they've crossed the Red Sea, and now they're beginning, they're in the desert, and they're beginning the journey. Some of you, by the way, some of you are like, gosh, where does that happen in history? What's that all about? Here's a little plug for my class. Three Wednesday nights in July, starting the, I don't know, second Wednesday, I don't know, it's on the calendar. <laughs> Genesis to Revelation. We're going to go the whole arc of the whole scriptures, start to finish, so you can kind of see what's in there and how all the dots connect, okay? If you went last year, it's the same one. I'm doing it at a different time so that people who didn't get to come last time might try it. So Wednesday nights, three Wednesday nights, start to finish, Genesis to Revelation. Look at, find it on the website. Also, some of you are like, man, those color Bibles that everybody jokes about, they're so good. Like I saw my friends. I wish I had one of those. Okay, I got one right here. Who missed the color on every page Bible? We're getting to the place now where everyone in our church has gotten one that our church has given. <laughs> okay, Den and Denise coming out of the room with the band. Thank you for leading us in worship. There you go. She's watching in the green room. And um, did somebody volunteer Tom over there? Is that what I didn't see Tom's hand up? I'm just going to wait till he raises his hand. Oh, no, it's not Tom. Okay. Uh, it's both of you guys? Okay, I got an extra one for you. Great. I got a benefactor who will just be like, you give away as many of those Bibles as you want. So we'll make sure that we do that. Okay, where was I? Exodus 14, okay. So the very end of the, um, of the story with them coming out of the desert. And this is sort of, I started here because this is sort of the beginning of this pattern that we see in the Old Testament where they come out and they go, wow, God did a work now, I'm gonna give him my life. In fact, if you look at verse 20, let's move up to the beginning of the paragraph. What's that, verse 29? But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Wow, you think? I mean, they walked through an incredible miracle and God protected them and brought them out of captivity and saved them. And so they're like, oh, then I'm gonna put my trust in you. That's the beginning of the story. And now let's see what happens. And so um, I'm gonna give you three vignettes. We're gonna lead through three vignettes around what happens next. We're gonna skip the next song. The next song is a song of worship that the Israelites sang to the Lord and it's a lot about dead Egyptians. And then we get through that and halfway through, look with me at verse 22 of, um, of Exodus 17, uh, 15, sorry, Exodus 15, verse 22. I'm gonna read this first vignette and then you're gonna give me some feedback. Tell me some things you see, you learn about this journey with God. Everybody got it? What page is 1522 on? 71. 71, for those of you with a church Bible. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. Oh, so that's the, this is the kind of thing you're gonna wanna notice, by the way. And if I talk after every verse, we're not going to get through this. But God rescued us. We're going to put our trust in him. And then God does what's the very first thing God does. Desert. Leads them to the desert. All right. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for here. And we'll look at what that's about. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Marah, which means bitter. 
So the people grumbled against Moses. All right, now, first of all, this is, you're going to see this word grumble. It's so good because this is us going, oh, that's not going to work for me. We just got saved. We're God's people. We're going to go into the, like, where God's leading us into freedom, and we're going to go into the desert, and then we're not going to have water for three days. Everybody say it with me. Oh, that's not going to work for me. So this is their word, grumble, okay? So whenever you see grumble in the passages we're going to read, I want you just to say grumble out loud. Okay, here we go. So, so the people grumbled, grumbled, all right, against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, you know, and he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them to put them to the test, and he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on any of you, or I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam from there, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Wow, interesting, right? All right, what did you see? What do you see about this journey? What do you see about this, this human experience, this Old Testament pattern of walking with God? We learn about God's character, about being one of God's people. Yeah, Alexis. Okay, she said that the Lord showed Moses the piece of wood after that he, that he, that he had cried out, right? So that he asked the Lord, like, what do I got to do here, right? And the Lord started his direction. Implication being, he had, he had to ask, like, all right, what am I supposed to do here? He walked with God. Yeah, good. What's another, what else do you see in this text? Yeah. It's the strangest object, like a piece of wood. Okay, so how is this going to clean the water, you know? Yeah. The, the wood could have been decaying there for a long time. Yeah, thanks, Justin. I'm going to repeat all these for the online community, you guys. So you, it's the strangest thing. What a weird object that God showed him, a piece of wood. It could have been there decaying. It could have been, like, what is that about? It was really almost a blind faith move, right, for Moses to go, hey, we need water. And God's like, okay, here's some wood. <laughs> right? So what's that about? Clearly, God was pointing out to them, at least, listen, this solution is not going to be something you can noodle through with all your brains. You have to follow me to see the miracles happen. Yeah, Gigi. Um, I love that. Um, it's like, what are you going to do for me today? That we have a spiritual forgetting. Like, it's awesome, we, awesome. And three days later, we're like, seriously? We, she said, we have a spiritual forgetting. Like, what, is, what have you done for me lately, God? Right? What are you going to do for me today? And in fact, we're going to look at two more vignettes. And it's the same thing. Like, it's the same story over and over again. Right? Good. Any last thoughts on this particular passage? Uh, yeah. That's it. The Lord will always provide what you need. He ultimately provides, and the title of my sermon is, What You Really Need. Right? Yeah. And Chris, I saw your hand up. 26. Verse 26. Yeah, listen carefully. Listen carefully. Why do you notice that? Because it's not always exactly clear yes, what to do next. Yeah, we have, to, we have to, we, to learn to hear the voice of God and for that to become clear to us, it takes what we call spiritual effort, spiritual disciplines to get quiet, to get before him, to get in the word, right? It's not always easy to hear God clearly. Good. Okay. Uh, let's, let, that, let's move on to the next, the next uh, vignette. So that's verse 
That's chapter 15. Now you go to chapter 16, and this is where manna comes to play in the thing. So the whole Israelite community now sets out from there at Elam, that place where they'd camped out, set out from Elam, and they came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled. Okay, not all of you are playing, all right? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. That's quite dramatic. That's some serious grumbling. But some of you have walked through such dark nights and such difficult deserts that maybe it would have felt better just to be dead. I mean, this is, where, this is for real. If only we died in the Lord's, by the Lord's hand in Egypt, we sat around, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us into this desert to starve this entire community to death. You see them doubting the character of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and collect enough for the day. And in this way, I will test them to see whether they'll follow my instructions. So on the sixth day, they'll, they're then to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said, you know that it was the Lord when he, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your well, Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community. They looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. And that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And it was manna. And manna is a Hebrew word for what is it? That's what, he, that's what it means in Hebrew. What is that? <laughs> Moses said, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone's to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And it goes on to then talk about what's going to happen with the manna, that the manna will come every night. It won't come on the seventh day because that's a day that the Lord's going to make as a day holy to himself. And it's the introduction of the Sabbath. He's like, you're going to rest, but I'm going to give you twice as much on that day. And on the Sabbath, it didn't even come. And so it goes on the rest of the chapter to talk about manna being the bread from heaven. What do you see in this vignette, in this story? What do you notice? Yeah, well, Before we get to, you're going to take us through a process before we get to the promise. Thank you. I, got, I just got some manna flakes here. It says it's later, it says it tastes like honey. They ground it and they made little cakes out of it. And I don't know. Did you want a little, want some manna? 
What else? What did you guys, what else did you guys see in this text? Oh, there's some manna for you. Give us this day, she said, give us this day our daily bread. That's where it comes from. See, this is good news in the Old Testament that finds its fulfillment in the New Testament, that we become people who know, like, God, you bring it every day. We're going to wake up, and in the midst of the desert, there will be your provision. You will give us everything you need. Some of you can't hear a word I'm saying. You're like, will he come over here with, with graham crackers? <laughs> but here, want a graham cracker? No, they're just all no. Look at my, my mom and my daughter are like, you got food? Bring it. All right, what else do you guys see in this text? Yeah. It's a con. Thank you. Yes, I'm going to repeat that for everybody. It's a constant test of whether we're going to trust him for what we can't see or only are we going to trust what we do see because that's what happens. That self-centered life is, is like, I think I'm going to have to be without God in this journey. And so I'm going to have to do my thing and not know if God's going to show up. Okay, that's it. There's some crumbs. There's some crumbs for you. All right. Any, any last thoughts in this particular passage? Yeah. Okay, let me interrupt you so I can repeat that. The father's heart for his little grumbling children. And then he still showed up and said it. It was funny that we were all repeating grumbling, but it was God saying, I've heard your grumbling. I hear you. Now, there are times when God's like, how long am I going to put up with you guys grumbling? You shouldn't be grumbling anymore. But he's like, listen, I hear you. I mean, it, right? I don't know what verse it is in that, in, in that chapter, but remember that that they were grumbled because they didn't have any bread to eat. And God said, I will rain down bread for you. Don't miss the tenderness of God in that passage, you guys. They're grumbling and we're like, stupid grumblers. <clears throat> well, of course they're grumbling because they thought that the plan here was that they were going to get rescued and be free and live life at its fullest. That's what they were promised. And they got led to the desert. Not only they get led to the desert, but they got led to the desert where they didn't have water for three days. And then they got led from the place where they had water to the desert where they didn't have any food. And they're like, what is happening here? And God is like, you need food? Do you need food? I want to teach you to walk with me. But if you need food, I am going to rain down food from heaven for you. Thank you, Paulina, for bringing that up. Okay, now let's look at the last vignette, chapter 17. Chapter 17, then the whole Israelite community, what page is that? Chapter 17, verse 1, 73. Then the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Oh, okay, wait. They traveled. They were learning to walk with God. They were learning to follow God. They were learning to trust God. That was the constant thing. Will they trust him with what they don't see? They don't see provision. They were learning. So I just want you to see again in this passage in all these passages, God was leading them along. They traveled as the Lord commanded, it said. They were just oriented toward following him, and it was, a, it was a journey of being unseen. They couldn't see where they were going. They were traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim then, in other words, as the Lord commanded, but there was no water for the people to drink. Wait a minute, what does that mean? That means God led them again to another place. 
Why did God lead them to another place where there was no water to drink? This was God who led them there, you guys. Now, he led them to Mara where the water was bitter and they couldn't drink. And maybe if they hadn't grumbled there and they'd learned to trust him, they didn't have to lead them to another place where there was no water to drink. I don't know. Or maybe he was like, look at, to strengthen you, to be my people for what I have ahead, to be a blessing to the whole world, which is what Shelley preached on last week. He needed to strengthen their trust. So he kept leading them to places where they were without. He led them to places where they struggled, where they had to deal with whether they were going to trust God or not. That was your point. Whether they couldn't see the solution. Guys, this journey is not for the faint of hearted. The faint of heart. So God leads them where there was no water. They camped to feed him. There was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty and for water uh, there, and they grumbled against Moses. There it is. And they grumbled Grumble. against Moses. They said, this is not going to work for me. They, no, they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children uh, and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. Remember where all the miracles from God came from when they were still in captivity? And go, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Masa, which means quarreling, and Meribah, which means testing. And they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? What do you see in this text, when this particular thing? Any other insights here around, about this journey, this third one in a row? Thoughts? Yep, Anne? God did not promise they wouldn't suffer along the way. Yep. Yep. What else do you see in this text? Yeah. I think Nikki. That with all of this, I'm being reminded that we should be, or I should be more specific in what I'm asking. Like, I need water, or God, I need, I think sometimes we can be vague in our asking and be more bold. She said, I'm, remind, I'm being reminded in all this, I got to be more specific and more bold. That God, this is what I need. I need water. We came and this is the need. And I think, and I, what I love about that, Nikki, is the Lord commanded them to camp there where there was no water. And so, of course, the Lord then is expecting his people to go. He's like, what do you need? What do you need? And that's what Linda's prayer was during worship. Like, what if Jesus said to you, what is it you need me to do for you? That builds that relationship and that trust we have with God. Good, good insight. Any other last thoughts on this? Yeah, Ashton. Just because we follow God does not mean it's going to be easy. And clearly the pattern that he shows us in the Old Testament, you guys, is that it, it wasn't designed to be. That wasn't the plan. What he was teaching was for them to follow him and put their trust in him and need him and reach out for him. That's the pattern that you see in this, in this text for sure. That, that last verse, I want you to see the last verse of that whole thing it, again, verse 7 of, of chapter 17. Moses called the place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means um, 
which means quarreling because the Israelites quarreled and they tested the Lord because here's the core question. They tested the Lord with this core question. Is God with us or not? Is he among us or not? Is he for us or not? Is he real or not? Is he in my life or not? Is this following God what life is about or not? And I love the fact that God has no room for religious involvement. He has all the room in the world for all in or all out. Like these guys ask the core question, is this what life is about or not? Is he trustworthy or not? Can I give him my life or not? Can I give him my heart or not? Yes or no? And he led them on a relentless journey to make sure that they got to a place of answering that question. Come on now. That'll preach all day long because that's where the reality of it comes to be. Is the Lord among us or not? In less than six months, they'd experienced 10 plagues, the, the pillar of fire and, and, and smoke, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the miraculous sweetening of the, of the bitter water, the sending of heavenly bread and quail, but they still answered in verse 7 of 17, is the Lord among us or not? That is our core question. And church, here's the end of the story here where it's fulfilled in the New Testament. If the core question is, is the Lord among us or not? The core teaching of scripture is John 1. And the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. Is the Lord among us or not? God descended as a human being and came to be among us in Jesus. John 1, 14. Jesus is the answer to all of our longing for whether or not this is a God that we can trust. This is a, a, uh, a, God, a, a life that is worth living. This is the answer to the question, is God with me and is this the way that I can live? It's all about Jesus. And we know that because Jesus took all of these scenarios and in John chapter six, verse 35, he said, hey, you know all those stories. He goes, but I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Let me move to that, that text for me back there so these guys can see that, okay, Rick? The scripture text, John six thirty-five. Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. In other words, the life that you're longing for is found in me. And all of this picture of God raining down heavenly bread, God teaching his people to walk with him, teaching his people to ask the question, can I trust him and will I give my life to him and will I follow him into the unknown and will he generously give me everything I need even though I don't see where it's gonna come from? Do, will I believe that? Can I live it? All of that was training in the Old Testament. It was good news because God kept coming after his people with such generosity. But in the end, the fulfillment of it is in Jesus who goes, I'm it, I'm the bread. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And everything you're looking for is in me. He said in a different way in John 10, a couple chapters later, he said, the thief is the one that you should be worried about. Don't think that I'm not gonna provide life for you. That's the enemy, that's the devil. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I'm where life is found. Don't you love that image that Jesus is the full spiritual realization of all of this picture that God would provide for the Israelites for 40 years, every day, whatever they needed. Jesus goes, that's me. That's just a picture of me. I'm the bread of life. 
ultimately, Jesus is what we need. And that's why somebody made the great comment, give us this day our daily bread means more than, God, you're going to provide food for the table. It does mean that because he will generously give us what we really need. But it means that everything that we need to be in a relationship with this God is found in Christ. It is the life that we were designed to have. Hey, band, come up. We're going to worship one more song before we close here. But I just want to give you, make one other connection here. This, this Old Testament, New Testament connection. In, verse, in chapter 15 of Exodus, we, um, we saw that uh, uh, verse 26 and 27 at the end. Well, God, this is what God said. This is God speaking. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his command and keep all his decrees, in other words, if you learn to walk with me the way I'm trying to train you to walk with me, if you learn to trust me, if you learn to believe that I will bring bread when you're hungry, that I'll bring water when you're thirsty, that I'll protect you from your enemies, that I didn't set you free from captivity in order for you to go back and be enslaved again by anything or anybody, like if you really believe all that, then I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. This is an interesting way for him to phrase it. I will not bring any diseases on you. In other words, this is this picture that living without a relationship with God is sickness. It's sin sickness. It's a sickness unto death. Romans said that the wages of sin is death. And the, and the, 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 the God's characterizing it in the sense of diseases in the way in which the people that Egypt wouldn't follow God's way. And so they just constantly dealt with not life at its fullest, but life at its most broken. And so he said, listen, if you learn to walk with me, I won't bring on you any of those diseases, but on the contrary, and in this next slide, this next line in, in the verse, it says, on the contrary, I am the Lord who heals you. I bring healing. The sin sickness of being oriented around our own efforts, around our own wisdom, about trying to figure out how to do life on our own, about trying to make a way for ourselves, not trusting God, that's captivity. That's bondage to sin. But he goes, I'm going to heal you from that. And I'm going to set you free so that you might have life in me as it was designed to have. I'm the Lord who heals you. And then that last verse of that chapter, then they came to Elam. Here's the picture of the healing, friends. Then they came to Elam where there was 12 springs and 70 palm trees. 12 springs. 12 is this one for each of the tribes of Israel. 12 is a, a, also one of the numbers that means sort of completeness. Like it's like there was plenty of water and 70 palm trees. Seven is the other number for perfection or completion. And it's like, there's going to be shade, 10 times the shade that you need. And look with the last, very last phrase. And they camped there. That's where we live. We camp by the water. We camp in the presence of Jesus who said, I have everything you need. I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you're never going to be hungry. Everything you're looking for is found here. If you believe in me, you'll never be thirsty. Everything that you're longing for is found in me. Friends, as we worship, I want to give you even one more opportunity. If you've walked with God, but you have been holding on to your life and not sure you could believe that God would generously give you everything you need, no matter what desert you're facing, Turn your heart back to him.
And if you've never come into a relationship with God, this is what you've been looking for. Jesus is the bread of life that comes down from God to give you what you need. Let's stand and worship and honor that Jesus and invite him in.